0: except no substitutes
1: The Mighty Atlanta
2: Conference the call's on him.
3: 5 seconds to go
0: Sure.
1: 10 Talk Podcast, presented by Get Trending Productions. And welcome back to the A10 Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Pyle. And tonight I am with two usual suspects, if you will. I'm here with Anthony Morelli from St. Joe slash LaSalle and Daniel Frank from GW slash
0: George Mason. So, Anthony, we'll start with you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's another crazy week here in the Atlantic 10. And the fans of the podcast, we're breaking the news. We bring you the, the goods right when the news breaks. So very excited for tonight. Daniel, how are you doing?
3: I'd be lying if I said my head wasn't hurting a little bit from uh, all this math. But <laughs> I'm doing all right.
1: Yeah, so uh, that's where we're going to start. So oh. basically, um, if unless you've been living under a rock Um, The A-10 basically exploded tonight. Uh, They came out with a press release uh, about the conference tournament switching dates. That's the first one. Number two, and I'm outlining real quick. Number two, uh, the finals are moving from Richmond to Dayton. Uh, Number three, the women's program or the women's season is being moved to March 10th to the 14th. So basically the men and women switched, uh, altogether, but the fourth being the craziest one of all was the new seeding policy for how the a 10 is going to seed teams for the upcoming tournament. So gentlemen, there's a lot to unpack here. So we're going to first start with like kind of the easy stuff, just, you know, get our feet wet with this pod. Cause we're kind of coming to you about, or we're talking to you about this uh, about an hour or so after the news release. So all of a 10 Twitter exploded. The memes were great. Uh Our site and our chat were crazy. So we're just going to get the first part out of the way. Um, The men moved their season up to give themselves a couple extra weeks before the NCAA tournament. Um, and that makes a lot more sense to me. Uh, I don't know about you guys that, I mean, it just makes a lot of sense just because then, you know, if the winning team of the tournament or the teams that are making the tournament end up with a COVID pause and let's say roughly two weeks is a COVID pause. I know SLU and other programs have more, but we'll just hopefully say two, two and a half weeks is a COVID pause. Then they're able to come back. So uh. Anthony, does that make sense to you? I mean, am I, am I speaking gibberish or what do you think?
0: No, I think it makes sense. I mean, at least we're not trying to do standard deviation. I was terrible at statistics in college. That's for sure. But I mean, look, it's their attempt to make it fair, I guess, is my whole look at it, right? A team like St. Louis, they should be three or like above the top four, right? They should be getting a buy. They are a team that is that good. And some might view this as a little unfair that like with your net, you get to be ranked ahead of teams that finished the entire thing. But remember St. Louis is now being disqualified from a Atlantic 10 regular season championship. If I'm correct me, if I'm wrong on that. So. Right, right, right. There is a little bit of fairness involved.
1: Right. So we'll get more into that in a little bit. Um, I definitely wanted to just think, uh, you know, does the, does the move up a date make sense? I think it does. Um, but I do want to talk about the women too, because I don't know if this kind of, I, I don't watch a lot of A10 women's hoops, but we do have someone who is very involved with uh, the A10 women's hoops. Um, and that would be Mr. Daniel Frank. And that's why he's on here as well to talk kind of about how this affects the women. So. Uh, Daniel, kind of take us through what what's going through your head, thinking that the women are now playing their tournament uh, the week that the men were supposed to play.
3: So the number one thing that comes to mind is Fordham might suddenly have a little bit of a chance to get back into this thing. Uh, I'm not sure how many people have been following the story this week. Uh, The news broke Sunday morning that Fordham was pausing all athletic activities, including games and practices, um, which Basically, was initially just going to be 14 days. That was what was publicly said, which is like, okay, fine. That wiped out the regular season, but they could still come back for the tournament. Um, but then what quickly came out from inside is it sounded like the university was just going to pull the plug on the whole season for the women, who, by the way, are in second place and still mathematically have a chance to win the conference. Um, and so what this now has a possibility of is say, okay, we'll give you your 14-day pause here's an extra 14 days almost practically to say, is there any chance that we can get these women back on the floor? Um, From a seating standpoint, I don't think there's as much of a mess that the men have had. Um, The lowest team with the amount of games played right now is Duquesne and they've played eight. Uh, They're three and five. Um, And that's a pretty significant difference from the men where you have GW who's two and three and they've had a pause for like 30 odd days or something insane. Um, so I don't think that we're gonna see as much of an effect on the woman's side as far as this giant math equation that is the new seating um, protocol. All
1: right, so there's your women's update. Um, not as crazy, but also, if you guys don't know anything about or are not sure about what's going on with Ford and women's basketball right now and what's going on with their season, they're not gonna really talk about it. Read the article Daniel put up on the a ten talk website. Uh, And you'll learn a lot more about it. There was also something that came out by Outkick um, that kind of explains some stuff too. There's also a petition you can sign. So I would encourage you to read up on that stuff and support the women there. Um, Next. uh, I forgot to mention when I was doing the little rundown, the championship final for the men's tournament will air on Sunday, March 14th at 1 PM. So if you're thinking in your head, okay, it's always on a Sunday. It's a week later, so in a day. So the the men's championship week will be March third through the sixth, and then a week later they'll be at UD Arena for March fourteenth for the men's final. And the reason that they basically did this was to mitigate the amount of risk of a co- of a COVID pause for either of the teams that are participating in the final. So really that's that's really it um as far as why that got moved the way it did it's kind of weird that it took an entire week off but i mean this is a COVID year so you know it is what it is moving on um to the biggest part of the news is the seating policy so i'm going to read this directly from the atlantic 10 website and the the press release that came out so it says and i quote Also approved is the seeding policy for both the men's and women's basketball for 2021 championships. Teams above 60% of the median number of conference games played by all 14 teams will be seeded by conference winning percentage. Teams below the 60% threshold will be seeded using the NCAA net ranking relative to all A-10 teams. Additionally, teams below the 60% threshold will not be eligible for the regular season title. Okay, so we're going to try and put this all together for you because there is so much math and so much that goes into this. We're going to basically talk about the men's season just because, like what Daniel said, uh, it's really not going to affect the women as much. So for the men, kind of what I have gotten from this is that the threshold, we're going to talk about this as games that are expected to be played. So uh, based off of that, the 60% sixty the percent of the median of games to be played, which the median would be 13 if the rest of the games for the season are played, the threshold would be 7.8 because that's 60% of 13. So that means teams need to be played eight games. Am I correct so far, gentlemen? You can you can nod. Nah, just tell me I'm correct. Okay, so uh, yeah, we're on Skype doing this too, so we're being friendly as well. So teams that play eight games are then seated by winning percentage. Okay, so by that logic, all the teams are slated to play eight games, right? So that means they're going to just slate all these teams seated by their winning percentage by the end of the season, as long as there's no COVID pauses.
3: Except for GW. (laughs) Except for
1: GW, right? Okay, so talk to me about that, Daniel. You're a resident GW guy. I'm going to pause it right there with my explanation. So go ahead. What's the deal with GW?
3: So I have to say, as a GW follower, this really makes no sense to me. (laughs) And I just don't have, I mean... I cannot wrap my head around. That. I understand what the math they're doing here is, and it's. But it's. I mean, it's not really GW's fault. They had this thirty odd day pause. I don't think there's an argument that St. Joe's and Fordham both belong above GW. I'm sorry, Anthony. I um, don't mean to crap on your Hawks, but they've not won a game. I'm sorry, and GW has a head to head win over Fordham. Um, so I. I just don't understand that. I mean, I get the math. I get what they're trying to do, but from a, I test watching basketball, you can't tell me that both of the teams are better than GW. You just can't. I'm sorry. Anthony, your thoughts.
0: I mean, I'm not going to fight you over it, Daniel. I'm not going to, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll come to test for the LaSalle explorers, honestly, since they're the only winning franchise, but can I ask you this question, Daniel? Because you're closer to the organization. This is more of like a GW-centered question. Do you know why they've had 30 days pause? Like they are like this is by far the longest outside what the Fordham non-conference pause that Fordham had. Like, is there a specific reason this is happening? Do they have like tougher testing procedures or something?
3: So, my guess and my from my understanding of what I've heard is it's it's common knowledge that Jamie Christian was the one that tested positive. My guess is a fair number of the team got it. Because if you kind of look at how GW's been, they're not the world's best at wearing masks on the sideline all the time. I kind of just have a bad feeling that like Jamie and pulled his mask down to huddle and just went poof. And I just can't help but wonder if like two thirds of the team got it or something. I mean, that's just what would make sense. Um, I, I've not heard of anything about GW having any stricter protocols. I know a lot of people are calling on them to like call the season and I never really believe that was a possibility at all um and yeah that's that's pretty much it yeah i don't
0: mean to put the podcast on a tangent but i just thought <laughs> it was interesting because i don't think i've ever heard anything on twitter about it and this is the very situation where these rankings kind of come into play so
1: yeah so and don't worry about tangents and all that shit because like this has already blown my mind out of proportion so <laughs> um so daniel like gw is so just to Clear the air. G- GW is not slated to get over that 7.8 threshold. Is that correct?
3: Correct. So, looking at their schedule, they're they're slated to come back on Sunday against Rhode Island at home at the Smith Center. Then, as it stands, they would next play the following Saturday, the 27th, against George Mason. Um, theoretically, they have a game on the calendar for the Tuesday, the third, I get at Davidson, but there's no way that any of the games that are, there's one, two, three, there's six games currently scheduled for the entire conference in the month of March. None of those games are going to get played unless they just completely blitz the schedule again, which I mean, they could do it's possible. Um, But the six games right now that we're looking at St. Joe's Rhode Island, GW at Davidson, Mason at St. Louis Dayton VCU part three, UMass rich uh, Richmond, and then Richmond VCU. Um, so I mean, yeah, from that GW is probably only going to get two games in, I've heard possibilities that maybe Mason GW try to play twice in a weekend, which GW did earlier in the season with Duquesne. So it wouldn't be like out of the question, um, which I mean, would be one way to try to get GW to that eight game threshold. But I mean, who knows? I mean, I, I kind of, I'm out of straws with guessing what the Atlantic 10 is going to do with anything at this point. I think we're all just kind of along for the ride to see what happens.
1: So basically the, the threshold is now is expected to be about 7.8 for the regular season. All right. But that could go up or down, but it sounds like, excuse me. It sounds like that the A-10 will most likely like the, Like the amount of games that needs to be played should be around eight or nine. So yeah, it'll probably screw GW, which in the grand scheme of things, I mean, because of George Washington's season, I mean, their net, that would put them, their net ranking right now is 246 and that's above St. Joe's and Fordham. So that's where they would probably go, right? Or am I wrong? Would they go all the way to the bottom?
3: So my understanding is if GW fails to meet the cut of the 7.8 threshold they would go to 14 automatically no questions asked. But if okay. they meet the threshold my understanding is we if everyone meets the threshold then we just go 1 through 14 based off of average of conference record I believe.
1: Okay. So so let's think so let's think here about about everyone making the threshold even if GW doesn't make it they're going into the 14th or 12th they're going to be a pillow fight team so let's just I mean let's call it like it is like they're going to be in the pillow fight probably most likely no matter what because by the way they're still doing the same format as they've done in previous years so we can play pillow fight double buy single pile and all that crap so let's look at what the standings are right now if They go by winning percentage because every team got over the 7.8 threshold. Okay. First place, VCU. Second place, Davidson. Third place, UMass. Fourth place, St. Bonaventure. Five, St. Louis. Six, Richmond. Seven, Duquesne. Eight, Dayton. Nine, Rhode Island. Ten, George Mason. And then you have what? Then it would be 11. Let's say George Washington's all the way at the end. 11, LaSalle, 12, Fordham, 13, St. Joe's, and then 14, George Washington. So if you think about it, what's the most controversial here? Davidson and UMass, for damn sure. If you look at especially UMass, so let's look at UMass right now. They're, they are 6-2, and two and they are on a COVID break right now. Okay, They played George Mason, LaSalle, Rhode Island, Fordham, Davidson, Fordham, Rhode Island. Okay. Only, let's see what one of those teams. Oh yeah. They played LaSalle twice. So basically they played, they, they beat only what they didn't beat any teams that are slated nine or above ninth in the conference. They played Davidson, but lost. They played George Mason who's technically below them and lost. So technically they kind of had the COVID break the COVID break was able to be able to be used for them to so that they didn't have to play like any of the rest of their games. And some of those games were St. Louis twice, you know, St. Bonaventure, VCU. They didn't have to play any of those teams. So like the same thing with Davidson. Now Davidson's a little different. They had to play Richmond, Dayton. Um, they played Duquesne, which is tough. Um, they played UMass, but they also played LaSalle, Fordham, St. Joe's um you know rhode island so they had a little bit more difficult schedule but nothing that's crazy like they didn't play st louis um at least yet they haven't played vcu they haven't played st bonaventure so like they've missed out on a lot of the good teams as well so they kind of lucked their way into a double buy and that's where i have a problem okay like i'm not trying to poo-poo on Davidson and UMass for like being bad teams, whatever they're not, they're not bad teams, but they definitely lucked their way into a double buy. Like, am I crazy? Like, is that wrong to say? Or like, what do
0: you think anyone can jump in here? So I'm, I'm going to jump in here, Daniel, just cause I want to say two things. One, I picked that Davidson UMass game. Sorry, Chris, don't want to rub it in your face, but, oh. um, <laughs> and then I also, but I also said this, I also said this on the show with you, Chris, Davidson had a naturally easy schedule. Like, even if they had played all their games, they got like LaSalle twice or St. Joe's twice. Like they naturally had an easy schedule. So I'm gonna give the okay in the fact that they were already on their way to being a sneaky two, three seed. Now it looks like they're gonna be a two-seed. But I will agree with you on UMass. They were completely shielded from playing bad from playing good teams, and clearly out of those two teams, Davidson and UMass, UMass played way worse competition, and then got shielded way more from better. So I'll agree with you on that point.
3: Yeah, I will just jump in here, too, to say that just as to play devil's advocate for Davidson, they have three games that are currently on the schedule that are left. They have a road game at St. Bonaventure, a home game versus VCU, and then in the middle there, they play at George Mason assuming everything holds because that's always the big magic key here. But assuming those three games remain on the schedule, if Davidson wins all three of those, I'm not going to complain as much about them being up there because, frankly, if they beat VC and Bona, then maybe they do deserve to be up there. I agree that they've, there's been some questions about do they belong right now. But, I mean, if they win those games, I mean, what? They'll be at that point, they'll be 9-2. and two. I can live yeah. with that. The flip of that, though, is UMass, as you you all were saying, I I mean, their two losses are not exactly great losses, especially that George Mason one. I know everyone was mad about that. They basically gave the game to Mason because they couldn't execute down the stretch. I mean, yeah.
1: So, So I get the whole Davidson thing. And yeah, sure, they have Bonaventure Lab, VCU. George Mason can be frisky. But here's the thing, too. Like... I, I feel like they kind of still lucked out. Um, their schedule is a little, a little bit easier. So I'm not going to say like, oh, it's incredibly easy, like UMass's was, or even St. Bonaventure kind of had a little bit of an easier schedule too. I mean, at least at first. Now they've kind of had to play. They've St. Louis. They've had to play St. Louis, Dayton, BCU again. But um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't have that big of a problem if Davidson is up there in the top four. I just kind of hate that. I don't know. It that it, being a two seed plus the plus, let's think about this too. Who would be the who would be the other top four, right? So let's say we go by our power kings, right? It's like not in any particular order, but VCU, St. Bonaventure, St. Louis are in the top three. Now, our four normally is Richmond, right? But it probably is taken by davidson now because richmond's sitting at seven and five in comp or not seven and five uh four and three in conference i was looking at the projection on Ken palm but so i get it if davidson gets up there um do they deserve to be the two probably not but if they're a four i guess i'm not going to argue as much about it um but umass yeah you guys lucked in to pay pretty much a double buy um before we kind of put a cap on this i wanted to bring the light that last night while you all were sleeping and I was up watching uh, some NHL hockey, I don't know, it was on super late, uh, the West Coast Conference came out with their own seating and I thought it was completely brilliant, okay? So basically, I'm going to read this directly from the press release from the West Coast Conference website, okay? The WCC partnered with Ken Pomeroy, shout out Ken Palm. To develop a model that uses a proprietary algorithm that best reflects conference games completed and yields an adjusted conference winning percentage for each men's and women's basketball team. The adjusted conference winning percentage accounts for the strength of the opponent and the location home and away of games played. The offensive and defensive efficiency metric is not utilized in the algorithm to determine a team's adjusted conference winning percentage. So basically, The West Coast Conference perfected this with the unbalanced schedule that every single conference has had. And they decided that they're going to take the adjusted conference winning percentage. um, They're going to take the strength of the opponent. okay, and then the location, either a home or away of the game played, combine that into a Ken Palm algorithm and then seed them. So basically... If they did that in the A10, it would eliminate UMass from being a top four team because although they have a six and two record, it took they they have all the, all six of their wins against are against teams that are placed ninth and below in the conference. Plus, the George Mason game would really kind of hurt them a little bit because there was George Mason now like tenth or eleventh in the conference. So, I feel like that was the easiest out for the A10. If they would have just waited and saw if that that the WCC did this, then I feel like we would have a great seeding algorithm. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think that I'm crazy for thinking that's a way to go, or like, you know, what did they have to do? What we what's been announced tonight?
3: You know, my first thought, truthfully, <laughs> is I wonder if George, if sorry, if the Atlantic Ten didn't want to pay. For Ken Palm services. <laughs> Good Lord. I mean, but seriously, like, because Ken Palm uses their own algorithm. What if the Atlantic Tang just was like, you know what? We can come up with our own problem or our own solution to this problem. You know, we don't need their fancy numbers. We'll just use the free and the, the free NCAA net one. <laughs> I mean, but seriously, like I, I do wonder if that was like part of the conservation or they were like, hey, we want to set ourselves apart from the WCC. We wanna, we don't wanna copy them exactly. I mean, who knows? I mean. They
1: basically, so what I got from the A10 is basically here's a maze, and at the end is going to be the same trophy or the same way that we do things as we've done in years past. That's exactly what I got from all this. Like, what you see now is what's going to happen. We just have a dumbass way of getting there. Like, that's what I got from it. Is that what you guys got? I, maybe I'm too harsh. I've been harsh a little bit on the A10 this season. I've kind of drawn back from it just because, you know, COVID doesn't make anything easy for anyone. So, and especially us, you know, in in the real world, you know, with work and whatnot, and you know, family members or whatever, again, that besides the point, like it's really hard to to do anything in a COVID pandemic like this, because we haven't had one ever. But uh now I'm kind of like we had a method. There was a method that was made up and you could have, I mean, you could have paid Ken Pom to do this. Like Ken Pom's working overtime to do this, to do this season, to get with the schedule changes and the adjusted efficiency ratings and all this stuff. But I mean, my God, this, I feel like they
0: completely shit the bed on this. So I'm going to say imitation is the greatest form of flattery and there's nothing wrong with taking an idea from someone else And I'm going to use another cliche. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. We're reinventing the wheel to come back with the same thing again when, as we said, the West Coast Conference comes up with something that's actually naturally different, something that's not going to just be the same thing that if we didn't do a crazy statistical formula, which I don't even like or I can't even do myself because I'm an idiot, but (laughs) – The thing is, why are we reinventing? As we said, we have the money. We're the Atlantic 10. We have more money than the the West Coast Conference does. We, in theory, should have more viewership. We are on the bigger network most of the nights. We have the Friday 10. Come on, what what kind of conference are we? The Big 10 does this kind of stuff. If we want to be like the big boys, we want to be the rivals to the Big East. Not saying that we can be that, but that's what good and well-run conferences do. And they don't change it a week before I make my hotel reservation. They don't do that either. (laughs)
3: <laughs> you know that's a good point i will say you brought up the big 10 i do seriously wonder what the power five conferences are going to do now because i mean this all seems to be a big reaction to i believe over the weekend what america east conference announced that they were the first to reinvent the wheel with completely redoing their whole tournament and now we've seen the wcc now the a10 tonight i do wonder what the acc the big 10 et cetera, what direction they choose to go in um, as we move forward it'll be interesting
1: yeah um i'm just gonna say this it's not too late to try again it's not too late to try again um but we're gonna they're not gonna
3: we all know it they've they've made their bed they're they're not gonna change it at this point i
1: know but i'm just like i was kind of excited because i was like okay like i think we got something here and we were all in the group chat like figuring it all out and then we all came to the conclusion that's like oh it's gonna end up being the same shit as it always is (laughs) <laughs> like
0: it, I, I I don't know I'm I'm lost. Maybe they for listen words. to the show. Maybe they'll hear us. They'll hear the voice of the people. That's
3: yeah, what that I'm, right. was the theory. Is that the reason? The real reason they switched the the order of the tournaments is because for this way, for women can play. And they clearly read my article. So hey, yeah, that, that would, makes that possible.
1: makes sense. Like the whole first part of this whole thing made sense. Like switching it around, giving the uh, basically moving the men's tournament closer. You know, moving it to the UTD arena for uh, after a week, but also then the women's tournament being later. So it gives the Fordham women enough time to maybe get a couple more games in. So then they make that threshold or whatever. I don't know, but that all made sense to me. This seating thing is just grade a baloney. And I, I'm getting more mad the more I'm talking about it. So let's just move on. Um, we got some game recaps to talk about here, um, from Tuesday and Wednesday night. So the first one we're going to talk about is Dayton, Rhode Island. It went to double OT, Rhode Island, one 91 to 89 Dayton squandering an 18 point lead in the second half with about nine minutes to go. Um, basically my thoughts on this as a Dayton fan devoted Dayton alum are that we kind of went away with what was working. And I got some flack on this. I wrote about it, how it just wasn't Jordy's night offensively. Um, He was okay defensively, but offensively, he wasn't providing anything. It wasn't that Jordy wasn't providing anything. It was that him being in certain lineups on the floor, like the lineup cohesively was an advantage for Rhode Island. Like they figured out how to manage and claw back into it because of that. When Dayton played their all guard lineup, all combo lineup, whatever you want to call it, Tom Crean calls it just basketball player, um, You know they they increased that lead to double digits all the way up to 18 points. Um, Rodney Chapman came back, so that made it a lot easier. He contributed just a little bit. I know his hand was still taped up, so I'm sure he probably couldn't shoot threes or anything, but he still was pretty productive. Um, defensively, he wasn't that great, um, but it's his first game back. Um, I'm not too shocked that they blew this lead, but a little bit just because we knew that they've beaten Rhode Island earlier this season by 11 um plus rhode island had lost four in a row so i'm kind of just like what more could happen to this Dayton team this season they've already done it themselves i know but like what what more surprises can we have already they've already lost to the sound fordham they lost to duquesne they've lost to rhode island these are all teams that they should beat um i'm just kind of like can we just get this season
3: over with already um you know what's going to happen chris they're gonna win the
1: A10 tournament,
3: right? Because it's gonna be at home, and then they'll probably test positive and won't we'll get, we'll get to play again. I saw that tweet from Ghost tonight. <laughs> you just yeah, that's what's chance. gonna happen.
1: Oh, absolutely, that's absolutely gonna happen. There, and the thing is, like, if people don't know, back in 2003, Dayton won the A10 tournament when it was at UD Arena. That was the only time they won it out of. And I know our program and our fans can be a little bit overwhelming because we think we like the, are like the best program in the 810. 10. I think we're one of the top, but like, we act like we're like hot shit all the time. We have never won the 810 tournament since it's been moved out of boardwalk hall or since we've won it on our own home floor. Like we have not won it. Like there's teams that have been in the conference less and less time than us that have won it like even more so. So I I don't know. That's a little bit of a rant on me, but Anthony, what'd you think about this game?
0: So you, you started by saying that the, our first topic got you angry. I'm surprised this topic hasn't made you even more angry. I'm just over it. Like
1: this team was up by 18 and I thought I was going to write a nice little article about how they made, like, they figured out that they, you know, they work best with an all guard lineup, you know, um who is it zimi wokeji he had 29 freaking points like that dude's a freshman i can't like the future is like bright and then all of a sudden they just completely shit in the wrong
0: side of the fan like yeah so i I will say for those who don't write sometimes when the game's going on you think it's over like an 18 point lead you start writing your piece and your game recap and then but then it for Chris it got messed up so I feel bad that's happened to me St. Joe's I just predict the loss anyway um Uh (laughs) I'm gonna say I'm gonna say this about the Dayton I agree the 18 point loss is concerning but and this is a question I guess a question to you Chris does the free throw shooting worry you in the sense that if you look at the overtimes there are a lot of missed opportunities to score at the free throw line for Dayton while blowing an 18 point lead is frustrating you know hitting your free missing free points is also equally frustrating don't you agree yeah, that was, that was basically, I
1: think, one of the big reasons why they lost. They couldn't just close the game down down the stretch. They couldn't close it in overtime, couldn't tie the game. And like Jalen Crutcher missing that free throw to tie it in double OT, that was like the epitome of the season. Like, you know, it's there for us to take. We have the right guy in the right situation, but we absolutely blow chunks when it comes to execution. That's like kind of the whole deal this season. Um, but the free throw shooting, I mean, I, they're one of the best in the eight. They're one of the better teams in the a 10 at the line. They're one of the better Dayton teams in history and Dayton history to shoot from the line. It's been down a little bit. Um, I mean,
3: they did miss 13 of them though. I mean, I know,
1: I think it's just one game though. You know, like it's just one of those games yeah. where nothing's going down, but there's other games where they've shot 75% or even 80%. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to get that much into it about that. I know that's one of the big reasons why they lost, but unless that starts going down in the future, I'm not going to really worry about it that much. I will say though, when you have a game in double OT and you're, you're Jalen Crutcher and you've played pretty much all what 60 minutes. um, I wouldn't be surprised if you missed a free throw either. Like it, you know, you're gassed mentally, physically. um, The season is taxing on him, I know, uh, just from Dayton's inner circles. But
0: that double um, overtime is going to really hurt come Friday's game. Not hurt, like detrimental, but, you know, two overtimes does tire you out.
3: Well, the other thing, too, is Crutcher kind of looked like he got hurt on that drive to the basket there at the end. I mean, he came up and he looked like he was cursing out of his mouth. And, I mean, he did not look like himself walking – after that so i mean if he's not 100 percent then dayton's gonna be in for a real long night
1: yeah yeah yeah. i mean we're gonna so that's the one next one i want to get into um not not the slew dayton game which is friday uh but we do i do want to talk about st louis um this team is a freaking bulldozer right now they i know it's LaSalle, but LaSalle is frisky and i'm a, i'm an explorer at heart that's what the goal boys told me and now i now i live up to that standard but uh, the game right after the Rhode Island Dayton one was St. Louis and LaSalle. It was played in St. Louis. Um, St. Louis ended up winning 78 to 57 avenging their earlier season loss at Tom Gola arena. Um, the bright spot for LaSalle, Jameer Brickus, 22 points uh, as a freshman. That looks really, really good, especially against the slew team. Um, they didn't have uh, Yuri Uri Collins, but that's beside the point. Fred Thatcher was really good. Um for them. So uh for St. Louis, uh Jordan Goodwin was the MVP of the game, 16 points, 15 rebounds. Uh, that's incredible. Um, he's right back up there for uh player of the year. Let's see here. We have Javante Perkins, 19 points, Fred Thatch had 12. That was really great to see from him. So uh basically, I know most people probably missed about the half of this game because of the Dayton Rhode Island game going to two OTs but the only thing really to say is, is that SLU is like all the way back now this is exactly what they should have done to LaSalle a couple weeks ago but they were still a little rusty um, I love I love the St. Louis team I know VCU is trending way 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 up uh, in like the power rankings and stuff like that but St. Louis is still my number one it has nothing to do against VCU I know I'm a Dayton fan and all that shit but to me St. Louis just looks like the best team in the conference right now uh and they will look like that and they will be number one in my power rankings until they lose or if they lose to VCU so um let's start with Daniel St. Louis LaSalle what are your takes
3: I mean I will just say just to to counter argument you you say until they lose like they haven't had two kind of yeah, losses.
1: <laughs> they have, but like now that now they're kind of like thrown out of the thrown out thrown out of the window, right? Because if LaSalle would have won this game, then that kind of tells the committee like, oh shit, St. Louis isn't that good. But St. Louis has been back now for a little bit, so now this game kind of is like a oh, we can throw that LaSalle game away. I don't really know. I don't think the committee is going to do that, uh, you know, or they might. I don't know. Joe Lenardi already kind of told me. Uh, you know, it just depends on the committee member. You know, some might think, "Oh, you know, that was just a that was a throwaway game because they came back later and won." But other people might be like, "Ah, screw it. Everyone's in the same boat." So, blah yeah. blah blah.
3: And I mean, that's the magic question that we just don't know. I mean, you know, it. And the other unfortunate thing for St. Louis is their Minnesota law or their win. Sorry, their loss to Minnesota is really starting to trend downwards because Minnesota has now lost a couple in a row, and they've not won a single game on the road this season. Yeah. um which is a little concerning I mean I still think St Louis should be comfortably in I think they have all the, the the pieces to win the conference tournament anyway um I mean boy what I wouldn't give to see a neutral site St Louis Vcu championship game I mean that would be something um I mean as far as this game I don't feel like there's a whole lot for me to say that hasn't been said already I mean I I completely agree they they look like they're starting to get back to juggernaut form I mean I I I was happy to see them get this win I will just say I keep putting i will put them at number two until they prove to me that they can continue this i mean if they can steamroll the next couple of games i mean if they really embarrassed dayton on friday fine i'll put them at number one um especially considering r- richmond i gather didn't look all that impressive on wednesday i didn't see the game because i was in class but i, I just by sure magnitude of wins and who has a better win this week i wouldn't be surprised if st louis could win me over i just need to see it
1: yeah um, Anthony, what are your thoughts, Mr. Uh, St. Joe's alum that is also writing for LaSalle?
0: <laughs> yes, I have many family members who went to LaSalle, um, so oh, I don't okay. need the Gola Ooh. boys to give me credentials. I get them. I, I went to LaSalle games ever since I was a child. Anyway, um, yeah, so my thing for LaSalle was, one, Sharif Kenny, who I've written many times about this year as the little glimmer of hope for, for LaSalle finding the guy. Because every team needs one, right? We, we talk about St. Louis, they've got a guy, right, in Goodwin. He is the guy. VCU has a guy. Even Richmond has a guy, in theory. Um, all the good teams, if you want to be your contender, you have one really great player. And LaSalle doesn't have that. They have like all these nice little rotational pieces And I was hoping that Sharif Kenny would be that person. He looked like he was really blooming into a very good player for LaSalle, scoring 17, 18, 19 points over multiple games. And to lay an egg and give me zero against St. Louis was kind of concerning. Now, I don't know. He only played 12 minutes, but I'd like to know why that was. I mean, he is a good enough player where if I'm in the room in a press conference, I would be asking Coach Howard. Why aren't you playing him more for tonight? We You need him. like You can't even sniff a win against St. Louis unless he plays. And then the other part is, I think you're all right. St. Louis is, or you all are all right. Um, St. Louis is back. I mean, there's no question about it. The pause is over. They're back. They're a legit team. I don't know if I'm as gracious as Daniel is by saying that they're better than VCU. I am te- I'm from Philadelphia. I tend not to admit when I'm wrong. So I'm going to stick with VCU. However st louis is one to not sleep on in in no way or shape or form
1: yeah um it's interesting what you talk about sharif kenny because he has been really good and i've been very impressed by him as the season goes on uh goes on but yeah 12 minutes he didn't have a single personal foul so like that was my first thought um he did have three turnovers but i mean so did david Beatty. i mean he was actually kind of not so great either um but yeah zero points yeah, I don't know. It was, it was a really weird one. It'd be interesting to see what happens with that. Um, but yeah, St. Louis is back. They go to Dayton on Friday. If St. Louis ends up beating Dayton on the road, it would be a quad two road win, which would be huge. And I really think St. Louis is not going to let Dayton be on the boards, beat them on the boards like they did the last time in St. Louis. But we will talk maybe a little bit more about that later. Uh, but we're going to get to our last game here. VCU Richmond, um, VCU winners in that one 68 to 56. Uh, it was another great game for Bones Highland, who is kind of s- starting to solidify that player of the year role. Um, I wrote about that a while back that he was kind of the front runner. Jordan Goodwin's starting to get up there again, but it looks like it's Bones's to kind of lose at this point. Um, but yeah, his offensive rating was 133. Amazing. Jameer Watkins had a great game, 10 points, uh, three assists. Hassan Ward had a great game, 11 points. And Ace Baldwin also had a good game, 10 points, four assists, uh, seven rebounds for that guy too. Look at him go. Uh, as for Richmond, uh, the game pretty much was Nathan Kayo's game for them. Uh, five for 11 from two on the, on the game, seven rebounds, two steals. Um, 125 offensive rating. Basically, St. Louis, or not St. Louis, VCU tried to basically have anyone else beat them, but Jacob Gilliard, Blake Francis, or Grant Golden. And they did just that. Blake Francis ended up with 12 points. Uh, Jacob Gilliard had nine and he played all 40 minutes. Grant Golden played 30 minutes. He had eight points. So um, I want to, he- I know Daniel didn't watch this game, so I'm going to direct it to
0: Anthony. What are your takes on this one? So <clears throat> this game heading into it was for me another test in VCU proving that they're the best team in the conference right now we can argue all day on paper. Who's better. Who's not. But VCU is the team that through all the season has played a substantial amount of games and has won majority of them. And Richmond is a very good team. This is like the, the in-town rivalry, right? This is a big game. You got to show up and you got to win. And these are the games where you prove that you are the best team. And you can say Richmond is kind of spinning, they're not that great, or they're falling. But guess what? If it's a rivalry, it means that that team's coming in and they're looking to beat you. Just like just because LaSalle's not playing great doesn't mean that they don't come in to beat a, a team if St. Joe's was great one year, right? That's just like it's that in town rivalry that you probably take really serious. And VCU needed to stay awake show up ready to play. And that's what they did. And I wrote about this in my a piece. Uh, we did a piece at a 10 about like the three most dangerous teams in the Atlantic 10. And I took VCU as uh, my argument for why they're the most dangerous. And by far they're the best defensive team, but something to note going forward is they turn the ball over like crazy. And, and against Richmond, they did it again, 16 turnovers to Richmond only had what six, I mean, the turnover differential really worries me for VCU. And I hope that they can fix this because it's kind of important to secure the ball.
1: Yeah. um, You know, what's crazy in this game. Uh, Richmond forced 16 VCU turnovers and only committed six turnovers themselves. Like that was very impressive. And uh, let's see, they had eight steals and VCU only had two steals. Like, and yet VCU ended up shoveling, you know, shutting them down in the second half or at least at the end of every half. Um, I thought Richmond actually did a pretty good job for the most part. The one thing, and a lot of the Richmond guys will tell you this too, and they were at the game, was that Richmond looked gassed. like They were just coming back from kind of a COVID pause. They tried to get a game against – I mean, they got a game against St. Mary's. They couldn't get a team, a D1 team. That's what they said. I'm going to take them for their word for it because we there's nothing else to speculate on that. But um, I really just – I feared that playing a team like St. Mary's, who's like a D3 school, is not going to prepare them condition-wise condition, condition wise for an up-and-down battle with VCU, especially a team like VCU that plays like 11 guys deep. Um,
0: and I add something real quick to that point yeah. just because uh, you, it's funny that you mentioned they, they were gassed. That kind of explains a lot of the fouls, right? When you're you're more tired, you're more prone to make those mistakes. You're less likely to keep guys in front of you, more likely to foul. VCU was hitting the transition hard, and that kind of makes a little more sense, a little more context to what went wrong for Richmond. I mean, the fouls were clearly in VCU's favor, so.
1: Yeah, um, and to put the put the perspective here, a lot of the fouls that were happening in that game were by Richmond's big big three. Of uh, Francis Gilliard Golden, um, Francis ended up with four fouls. He was on the bench a lot of the game, even though he played thirty minutes. Um, Grant only had one, but that's uh, that's not it. But their uh, their other guy Gilliard had two, and their one guy that was their big offensive threat, Nathan Kao, had three fouls. So like they were kind of racking it up a little bit. Plus, Yusuf had four fouls too. Well, whereas VCU they were able to play, you know, eleven guys deep. The only guy that got more than three fouls. That was Mikhail Brown Jones, who really doesn't play that much. He played eight minutes. And then Levi Stockard had four by the end of the game, but everyone else had one or two. So like, you know, if you get Bones Highland out of the game, like that changes things drastically for VCU. But I don't know that you're right. I'm going to have to really think about the power rankings now that I'm thinking about it, because I'm going to at least wait until the weekend. We'll see how St. Louis plays Dayton. Um, We'll see. I think VC plays George Mason. That should be a win. If they lose that They better
3: crush Mason. I will just say if VC loses to George Mason at home, they don't belong in the NCAA tournament. I'll just.
1: (laughs) Well, they won't be. They, they will not be invited. Let's just say that, but it is the single center. Um, St. Louis is at Dayton. So that'll be interesting to see St. Louis. Absolutely. Both teams absolutely have to win. You cannot afford a loss to George Mason if you're a tournament team. Um, but that's the end of that recap. So we're going to end before, before we end, I just want to let you know that on the other side of the break, there will be an interv- There is an interview I did with GW head coach, Jamie and Christian. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I asked him about his sticker chart. It was great. Um, we had a good laugh. Um, he's a really great guy, uh, very upbeat, very positive. Um, I felt really good about myself afterward because he's such a positive dude. Um, I bet Daniel can tell me that as well. So, uh, but before I get into that, we are going to do our, uh, one thing to watch for this weekend. So we got a couple games going on. You know, we got Dayton, St. Louis, we got Richmond, uh, and Duquesne, we have St. Bonaventure and Davidson. We got LaSalle St. Joe's whole slate. So, um, I'm going to start with,
0: Anthony, go ahead. One thing to watch for. So I'm going to say it. I'm going to be the homer. It's LaSalle St. Joe's is the thing to watch. And the only reason why I say this is because St. Joe's coming off a pause. And the new thing on a10 Twitter is if you're not a fan of St. Joe's is to tweet out, do you like Billy Lang or Phil Martelli? And then everyone and their cousin comes in and comments and it's the quickest way to get clout on the internet, I guess these days. So that's why it's the biggest thing to watch, right? If everyone wants to talk about it, why don't you tune in and see Billy and the boys take on Ashley Howard and the LaSalle Explorers. I'm excited. It's a little inner house rivalry for me against my parents and I always like watching it. So that's the game to watch.
1: Nice. So you, so you're a St. Joe's alum, but your parents are LaSalle alums. That is correct. Wow. That's interesting. It's kind of funny. So my, uh, I was not, I'm not born into a Dayton family. I'm from Indiana. But my dad's from Pittsburgh and he went to Pitt. So I grew up a big Pitt fan, but I ended up going to Dayton. So that was, we were always big Pitt fans going up. But um, anyway, Daniel, what's your one thing to watch for?
3: I mean, I feel a little bit bad about being a homer now, but since Anthony did it, I'll just go with it too. No, truthfully, I am really curious what GW is going to look like in their first game back from COVID clause. They play Rhode Island on Sunday. And it will be the first time, assuming that everyone's healthy because we don't know for sure, that GW will have James Bishop, Ricky Lindo Jr., and Jameson Battle together on the court all at the same time. Um, because the, the one game that they had beforehand, Jameson Battle missed with concussion. Um, so that was the one silver line to GW's overly extended COVID pause is you would have to think that Jameson Battle will be back from his concussion at this point. Um And look, a lot of people have been ragging on GW. I have seen measurable improvement from the team that became a meme in the non-conference slate where they were just James James Bishop just chucking up shots at the end of games. That was making me pull my hair out to a team that was like able to beat Duquesne, get a couple wins, which was more than I frankly thought at New Year's. I wasn't sure that they were really going to get any wins in the Atlantic 10, given how they looked. I'm very curious how they're going to look against this Rhode Island team. I really am. So I am not going the homer
1: route on this. We don't need to talk more about Dayton than we already have. Um, I am looking at, let's see. Oh, I lost my thought. Oh yeah. I am looking at Richmond and Duquesne. So I think Duquesne is a really frisky team. But if you think about it, remember remember St. Louis, They when they came off their COVID pause, it kind of took two games for them to get back into it. So Richmond is, I'm not going to count the St. Mary's game. Like, come on. So Richmond has played one game already since coming off COVID. Duquesne has played zero. They're coming off COVID. So Richmond's playing their second game. Duquesne's playing their first. Well, you know, what COVID pause will prevail? (laughs) Kind of, that's kind of what I'm looking at here. Because I really think Duquesne is on the up and up here in the A-10. I think they could get as high as a six seed if they really try. You know, with the way Dayton and Rhode Island have kind of beat the shit out of each other. So, um, going to be really interesting here. Uh, it's at, it's at Richmond. So that might make a difference with the travel and all the weather. Um, I know we've gotten like a bajillion inches of snow. So Pittsburgh's probably not any better. Richmond's probably not any better. So that's what I'm looking for is which team is going to suck less coming out of a COVID break. (laughs) So, uh, with that, we're going to get to our final thoughts, Daniel, final thoughts, sir.
3: Well, I will just say it's nice to have some games to look forward to this weekend. Um, just after last Saturday, which was a barren wasteland of nothingness other than Fordham getting the snot kicked in by St. Louis. It's nice to have some games to look forward to this weekend and be able to just relax on a couch and watch the A-10 hoops finally.
0: Anthony. I'm interested to see how the moving of the conference tournament from one week early affects the teams that need extra games for our at large bids. We might come back regretting moving it up a week and not giving St. Bonaventure or St. Louis another game. So that's my final thought.
1: Yeah, that is actually really true. So in the what we all originally thought was that the A10 was going to have a weekend open that they can make up some games, but now it seems like they're scrapping that whole idea and uh, the conf- with the conference tournament moving up absolutely completely botched so yeah that's a great thought i love it uh my final thought is thanks for uh dealing with this long of an episode i hope honestly when i actually have no idea how long it's been we i usually try and keep track but i didn't tonight just because i knew we had a ton of stuff to talk about Um, i'm gonna try and put some timestamps in the uh in the little description thing so you guys can skip through whatever you don't want to listen to but uh thanks for listening um on the other side of the music you're gonna hear the jamie and christian interview so i hope you enjoy that until we see you again have a good one Okay, we are now joined by George Washington men's basketball coach, Jamie and Christian. Uh, coach, how are you doing today?
2: Doing great, man. I mean, uh, you know, obviously I got a big smile on my face. I got a great team that I get a chance to coach every single day. And, uh, you know, I, I just love what I get to do every day. So I'm excited to, to spend some time with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, I know you're on a COVID pause right now. And uh, I don't know what that entails as far as uh, how busy you are still, but uh kind of just want to start off with that a little bit. Um, you know, what is it like, like how difficult is it to coach in a, in a season like this?
2: Yeah. You know, it's been a, a year like no other um, just because, you know, the situation of COVID is dominating everything that's all around us. Right. And so, you know, as coaches, you try to become a professional at creating environments that all your players to be at their very best and to be at their best and our best required. Right. in these huge moments these huge competitive moments and the situation around us, is just a, uh, it's not, I don't even say it's a distraction, it's just a life matter that we're working through every day that's just challenging, right, and so, you know, each one of our teams in our league or you know, you have to get testing, you know, these guys can't do much, so they're in their rooms a large amount of time, they can't really get away from the game at all, they can't get away from school at all, everything's right there in front of them, so I, I've stopped calling this an, uh, a, a step of adversity, I've called, started calling it a life-changing event for them, and and we're, we're in this experience with them, and I think I think it's just been challenging. And you know, one of the things you'll hear in the next few weeks from me, you'll hear me saying embrace embrace challenge. And that's what we're trying to do here. We're gonna embrace challenge and we recognize the things that are going on around us. Uh, we love our guys, we love what they're going through. We wanna be there for them. We wanna be there to support them. We know when we get through this, we're all gonna be better, we're gonna to be tougher. But right now it's really tough for all the teams that are trying to compete out there and, and uh, including us. And like you said, we're on a pause. Um, and so I'm sure people are like, well, what does that mean exactly? Like, What can you do when you're on a pause? Well, you know, the first part of it is when you have a positive test, it's just trying to make sure that everyone is safe. And I think that's a that's a thing that's different with this is that, you know, safety this is quarantines, it's isolations, you know, it's pushing your team apart, you know, we're all preaching for our team to come closer together. And, and so we had a quarantine for 10 days, then we had another positive test, we had another quarantine for 10 more days, and then we had quarantine and we had positive tests another 10 more days. So... Um, you know, we've kind of been working through that and trying to find ways to keep our guys engaged. Um, I'm enthused with our guys enthusiasm to get back on the floor with the enthusiasm to be a team. And I'm excited about our team moving forward.
1: Man, you, you are like the definition of like a positive spin zone guy. Like you could probably take any like political thing and just <laughs> spin it around to be a positive. Like it, it's incredible. Um, but I love the positive vibes only kind of, kind of thing and just spinning it, you know, just to, taking it as you know, it's not, it's a challenge, but it's a challenge to help you positively instead of negatively. So I really love that. Um, so talking about you and the program a little bit. Uh, so you started to, you took over last season. Um, the program is, it seems like it's in like a, I don't now that you got me on this positive vibes thing. I'm going <laughs> to change my wording a little bit. You you're in like a growing phase right now. Right. I don't want to say rebuilding, like you're just growing, right. You got a good mix of experienced guys, grad transfers, talented young guys. Uh, so what have your players learned about themselves this season?
2: Well, I think they've learned a few things. I think they learned how good we can be um, when we have everybody on the, uh, in the right place and able to go and attack it. I think they're starting to see the light. You know, the A-10 is such a great league. I mean, you talk about our league. has got great coaches, great players, great programs, great history. So it's rare that a coach is going to come in or, or a player is going to come into the league and you're going to dominate and move right to the top of the A-10. It just doesn't happen that, that often. doesn't mean it's impossible, but it doesn't happen that often. So with our staff, when we got here, we wanted to put a plan together that would give us the ability to be one of the top teams in our league, but also the ability to have sustainability, which I think is a real mark of success. And, and so us really trying to build on that it's been really important. Obviously you've seen the success of guys like Jamison Battle in their second year with us, James Bishop in his first year with us, Matt Moyer in his first year with us. So we really had a simple strategy. We wanted to ratchet down each, posi- each position one by one and to do the very best we could to build that up and to give that person the opportunity to be a top top player in the league. You know, to win this league, you gotta have three top 20 players on your roster. Um, And that's a daunting task and you don't usually get there with, with, with really young kids. So you got to really try to build that up. And I think our team has learned that we can compete with the very best teams here. And I think that's a great, that's great for us moving forward again in a great league.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I totally agree with you. Like just watching my own team, um, you know, is considered, you know, a very, very good program in this league. Like even they have their own struggles, like you in this league, it's kind of like, what uh, people tell me all the time about the NFL, like it doesn't matter how good or bad a team's going They can come in any day and knock you out. And if you're not ready for it, like you're not going to be successful in this league.
2: <laughs> There's so many good coaches and players in this league. You know, I remember the last year we played Fordham, we lost them three times and I just remember in the off season watching their defense. And I was amazed at how good they were defensively, you know, and you know, I've, I've been a head coach now going into, this is my ninth year, And I was amazed at how good they were defensively and no one wants to give those guys credit. And it's like, when you look, I mean, I think they had the number one defense in the league, what they're able to do stopping people from scoring on the inside and defending the three, you know, historically, you don't see teams having the ability to be able to do both those things you know, and you're looking at a team like Fordham, you're looking at a team like Dayton a year ago with all that talent all around, you know, I was able to space you out and play Rhode Island with all that toughness all around. I mean, you you kind of go down the league and you just notice, man, what an amazing league with a lot of great players. And you got to really be, you got to be solid every single night or you're going to get exposed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's a, it's a crazy league. And we've seen it this year just by some of the results uh, that have happened, you know? Um, So kind of go along with that. And like your guys growing uh, from this year to last year, uh, analytically, your teams have improved offensively. Uh, you've sped up the tempo of your teams. Uh, your guys are taking and making more effective shots. Uh, how do you think your team uh, can build off of that for next season?
2: Yeah, well, we recruit that way. I mean, that's a big thing for us. I mean, being one of the, you, you, you know, guys like us, we try to take whatever advantages life gives us, right? And so one of the advantages I have currently is I'm one of the younger guys in the country that's coaching. So I, I get a chance to kind of look at it differently from a different perspective, And so we're looking at everything really with numbers as a major factor of what we're looking at from our recruiting to how we're handling our budget to how we're handling ourselves on the floor. And so efficiency is something that's really important for us. You know, guys like Jameson Battle who can score the ball at so many different levels, they bring an efficiency level that's just different. Our bigs and what they're able to do, how they're able to score the ball efficiently. Although not a lot of attempts from them, their scoring and percentages are so high and they do such a great job of creating offense for our teams. And then obviously the number of threes that we like to take and, you know, threes versus threes and layups versus taking pull up jumpers and playing in the post. So there's a lot of things that, you know, we've kind of built our program on through the last few years. Again, you know, nine years in, you know, our teams, the teams I've had a chance to coach have been really efficient on both ends of the floor. and, And so we're trying to continue to do that. Now, some of that is talent. Some of that is ability. You know, Dayton last year, I think they were the most efficient team on offense and defense last year. You get that combination, you're going to win a lot of games. And We're all striving to get there. You know, it takes a little bit of time to get there. It takes a little bit of experience to get there. Um, But I have a lot of confidence with the guys we have in our roster, Um, the way we've been able to connect, the way we continue to believe in one another, the way they're understanding our system and our scheme. You know, offensively, the things that we do are, you know, we do a lot of things offensively. So it takes time to settle into that. But that's how we're able to continue to stay efficient.
1: Yeah, um, I actually wanted to add, you talked about recruiting. So uh, without revealing your whole pitch so that anyone else can steal it or whatever, or learn about what you do, like, what are the things that you highlight about George Washington to potential recruits?
2: Well, we're in the world's most powerful city. So, you know, if you want to be at a place where the power structure is right two blocks away, um, this is a great, great place for that. And, you know, we just have a lot of great things here. You know, we have a tremendous tradition for basketball excellence and basketball tradition here. Um, you know, we've had teams that have finished top 10 in the country. We've had teams that have been some of the top in the nation here at GW. We just have a great history and great tradition. You mix that in with, you know, being able to be great at two things. You know, we're playing a great leagues. We have great basketball and we've had great basketball players here. We've got, if you guys in the NBA right now. We've got guys having a lot of success overseas. But then you look at the quality of our degree, and I think that's such a separator for us. You know, you look at the quality of our undergraduate degree and the quality of our of our graduate degree. It's just a, it's just, it's just different. You know, to wear that GW logo on your chest and to be great at two things and demand yourself to be great at two things. It's just such a different. It's just such a separator. And you know, and then I think when you throw it in there, I think you know we're trying to be the staff. When you look at us, our staffs one of the youngest in the country. You're going to be able to connect and play with us. You're going to be get. You're going to be able to to really have people that understand what you're going through and being there with you every single day. And and also with that ambition to push you to, to your greatest heights. And so, you know, I just think this is an amazing place. I think this is a place where someday we're going to be able to hang a national championship banner here. And I really believe that because I think the combination of, of uh, academic excellence and basketball achievement is just unique. I don't think you get that everywhere. I think it might take us some time, um, but you know, we're all signing up to, to put that time in to continue to keep building and to continue to keep growing. And, Again I mean nothing's ever been been accomplished without great ambition and we're not short of that here
1: yeah you got I think GW is like one of the top academic te- academic schools in the A10 I think it's like okay. you guys in Fordham uh, like somewhere near the top I haven't checked the last time um, but yeah that degree along with saying you know you got to play basketball at one of the best academic schools and most powerful city in the world like that really rings a bell to me just that most powerful city I didn't really think of it like that um, but cool um so I wanted to learn directly from the source about this concept of mayhem okay so can you explain what that is and how you've instituted that into the culture of GW basketball
2: yeah you know it's kind of changed over the years you know when I was at Mount St. Mary's we were pressing and trapping getting after you all over the place it's really about really you know number one the first thing it's about is it's about our team being so connected and understanding like how important that is and um, we really focus a ton on that. We do a ton of stuff in terms of leadership enhancement with our group. We do a ton of stuff in terms of making sure we're connected and building on that. And, you know, I think the amount of love we've been able to establish in our locker room in, in, a, in over a year, you a year and a half or so, really, um, it's really been special, and and that's one reason I think we have a chance to be really good. You know, mayhem on the floor is about getting our opponents to push in those places where they're uncomfortable. You know, we're not there yet. We're not back to pressing and trapping like I love to be, and and but I think you saw early in the year our tempo offensively was one of the best in the country. We're definitely working towards being able to get back there, and and defensively, you know, just trying to take you out of whatever whatever you want to do. And um, I think we're able to do that. You know, it gives us a chance to be dominant every single night. Um, again we're not there yet you know we're we're getting there and we're working towards it every every single every single game we're getting closer and closer to being there um, but it's an exciting brand that I think allows people to to get out here allows us to play a lot of guys if we choose to do that and you know so that's what we're excited about being able to do.
1: Yeah I it's it's kind of fun to see on Twitter uh, some guys uh, that are like students at GW like they really push forth the mayhem and I I like it because it's like a every program needs their own identity, right? Like VCU's got this havoc. Um, I know St. Joe's, like, they really like to push a tempo just like you guys do. Um, it, at
2: it, a different level. I mean, they took more than 200 threes than us last year and we take a lot of threes.
1: So, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah really He's taking, he, I don't know what they call it up there, but I mean, he, he they're taking their tempo and their offense to another level. And then you definitely see them making a lot of strides in year number two as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so last question for you coach. Um, so I, I've noticed this, you have this, uh, defensive chart on the yep. sideline. It's like three stops, get you a Turkey five, get you a monster, 10, get you a Godzilla all in a row. Yep. So, and we, I was, we were talking before the show, I'm a teacher. So jokingly, like I've said to some people, I'm like, it, it, that looks like a sticker chart <laughs> <laughs> jokingly. Um, but in a way, I've never seen that before in college basketball. And, you know, the game is evolving all the time, the way that coaches uh, strategize and coach and how to get their guys pumped up. Uh, you know, just it, the game is so evolving, especially with young coaches just like yourself. So how has is, how is that strategy been effective in coaching your guys? And have they really bought into that?
2: Yeah, you know, they have. I mean, we just try to find a process for everything we're going to do. I mean, we're really system systematically driven here um so you know every coach tries to find a way for their team not to be focused only on the scoreboard although we all recognize that winning is important um but we just try to find ways to allow our guys to lock into the process of things and you know if you ever watch us practice that's kind of how we practice it's all about the process you get points for process goals not necessarily result driven goals it you know it's really easy to be so locked into the result and you know i always say you know i always say like winning and losing and how you handle that is such a juvenile thing because when you're a kid, you lose, you take your ball, and you go home, right? You're just disappointed, but like when you're trying to be a true competitor, and a true competitor is going to win or lose, and they're going to stay and keep practicing, and can continue to keep getting better, and I think that's what we're trying to build. We're trying to build true competitors here, and a true competitor can lock into the process for a long period of time, and even when you're not getting the results that you want, recognize that you're getting better, recognize the areas where you're weak at, where you need to improve, and we're just trying to build that mindset into every one of our guys, and Maybe one of the reasons you feel us being so enthusiastic is because of that. I mean, you know, we look at our situations, you know, we play a really tough VCU team, play a really tough Dayton team. And, you know, it, it, I mean, the result is the result, but we're looking at all the things we're doing to get better. We're looking at how much we've improved from a year ago. We're looking at how, how many, we're looking at what worked on offense and what, what worked on defense. And I think when you choosing to look at it that way, you're giving yourself an opportunity to really improve. I mean, we're all going to win. We're all going to be successful in life with our strengths we're never going to be successful with our weaknesses and some of our weaknesses we can improve on, but we're not going to be able to change completely. But when you really think about our strengths, I mean, those are areas that we can really push forward and that's what we're trying to do. And so when you talk about our Turkey board, that's just one example of many that we have here, um, you know, where the guys can look up and see the process that we're in uh, three stops in a row, you know, do that seven times in a game and you score half your possessions, you're going to win. And we talked about how efficient our offense has been this year. If we continue to improve our defense and get our defensive efficiency up, you know we're going to be a tough team to play against. And you know, before you can be a champion, you have to be a contender. And and right now, we're 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 contending every single day. And I'm I'm really enthused with our team to be able to do that. I'm enthused with their ability to look into the process of things and not just lock into the result.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. So like, it doesn't matter really what you put on the board. It's just like to measure during a game. I kind of like that. Like you, it, it's kind of like what I do with my students. Uh, I actually taught third grade at one point and I used to have a board in my room and where you got to see like your improvement, like, you know, based on like math or like times tables, you know, stuff like that. So like, that's kind of an interesting way to put it. I kind of like that. I'm going to, I'm going to steal it.
2: <laughs> you know, I have a teacher background. My, mom, my parents are both teachers um my mom was a special education teacher my dad physical education and was a a coach he coached high school football high school track um so i mean i think a lot of the way part of the reason why i see the world the way that i do is that when we come home and talk they would be discussing strategies on how to help their kids see improvement and that was one of the major focuses that they had they were never really focused on the results because you can recognize that you may have a student get a c but that might be the best c that he can get and you recognize that that was a person stretching stretching themselves to get that and that's a real victory
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's, that's great thought. Um, I, uh, uh, one, one last thing too. Um, so along with that, uh, strategy you use with the Turkey board, uh, do they get like something after the game, like, or like free pizza, if they get a Godzilla or do they get less sprints or, (laughs) or like anything like that?
2: Yeah. You know, we actually don't, you know, we actually don't give them anything. You know, we, we don't run a ton here. My dad's a track coach. So, you know, he's against running for, for any form of punishment. He's all about, like, you should run because you want to be at your best. So we don't run um, for punishment here hardly, hardly at all. You know, I mean, occasionally, maybe once or twice a year. But for the most part here, you know, again, if you're a true competitor, you know, you want to look at every moment and you want to get better and you want to know why and why you didn't do it well. And so I think sometimes when you're punishing for, for missteps that way all the time, it can have, a, you know, it can create an effect on your team where they're not trying to make a mistake instead of trying to get it right. And to be a, to be a champion, you got to take some chances. You have to learn which chances to take. So we're really careful about the mindset that we're creating for them. Um, we probably should do like a sticker, a sticker or something like that for the guys when they get something. But you know, for the most part, you know, we want them to be locked into doing, being at their best for our team and to not need another added incentive, uh, incentive to do that. Um, you know, because you, what we want to be is our best and our best required. If we're consistently able to do that, we're going to be one of the better teams in our league. And if you're one of the better team in the A 10, you want a better team in the country.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it's kind of like uh, one of my favorite movies is Coach Carter. And he says, like, you know, is winning not enough, right? You know, yeah. so that's kind of what I think about that. Like, you know, you're not really giving them anything outside of it. Like, look at the board. Is that like not enough for you? <laughs> like, you're getting stops. Yeah. These teams are getting so upset with your defense. So, uh, I
2: remember that was Bobby Fisher movie. When you know, about, you know about the the legendary Bobby Fisher in chess chess. Yeah, playing. yep. And at one point in the movie, he you know his his trainer is giving him certificates over and over again, which is really external motivation. We try to stay away from external motivation. We want internal motivation. Uh, we could talk about that on another chat. But you know, so he's giving these certificates, and then Bobby's winning all the time and learning these different skills. And at some point, his his teacher is so frustrated because Bobby only wants these certificates, and it's like like you said, is winning and is is winning not enough? Um, and so I think when you're, when you're being really careful about the mindset we're creating for our guys, I think over time, we talk about sustaining success. I think that's really going to benefit us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I love everything you're doing. Um, any, uh, our own contributor that covers GW, uh, on the regular basis, he loves you. Uh, thinks you're a great fit for the program and going to take GW back to where it belongs in the top of the a 10, just like you guys were in the early two thousands. Um,
2: we're definitely going to get back there and we got a lot of people behind us that are pushing us forward, and we got a lot of guys in that locker room loving one another that are improving every single day.
1: Awesome. Well, Coach, uh, that wraps up for me. Uh, Thank you so much for coming out, and uh, good luck the rest of the season. Hope to see you guys get back on the court soon.
2: Chris, thanks for your time, and I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Coach.